Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, gallery owner, and honey victim, white person Alex Dandino. <laughs> Yeah, you got it. That's always on Front Street in this series. Uh, all right, before we get to that, some business. Um, as always, guys, we hope you enjoy spending time with us. If you do, we would love to ask you a favor. If you could, right now, right this second, please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out enormously. Uh, for yes. those of you that have been doing it, we thank you so much. Uh, and for those of you that have it, man, it only takes but a second. It takes one second, and that way me and Alex don't have to pop up behind you in your bathroom mirror. It gets all weird and gross. So just come on, guys. Help us out. Quick sentence, quick five stars. All right. You can also see our faces as well as hear our voices on our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. So you can watch this conversation over there. You can find us on all your socials. We love Instagram and Twitter, at uh, Film Alchemist Pod on Instagram. Uh, film underscore alchemist on twitter get a hold of us reach out to us we love communicating with you guys in that vein you can also email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your ideas of movies you'd like to hear covered uh new old double features guest host themes for an entire month as you guys know every december we stuff your stocking uh so get in now with your listener suggestions we actually have had some coming in so we probably won't be able to do them all again this year yeah, I know. We've had a couple more. Nice. Uh, some good ones, too. So make sure you're getting in now so that we can uh, have your uh, awesome selection amongst the list. All right, guys, that's enough business. It's time to lay Candyman to rest because 2020 is a cruel, horrible, dark abyss, and we don't get a new, fresher Candyman. Oh, so God we're left it. with this uh, stagnant, day-old Los Angeles smell, that smog, that... It's not quite as good as you want. The death of dreams, uh, you know, the stars glued to the sidewalk by the blood of people who thought they was going to make it. It smells of (laughs) Hollywood and Highland. For those of you in L.A., you'll get that reference. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. Um, I try to be optimistic as much as I can on the show. The thesis of our podcast is to talk about the movies we love, man, and, and try to do our best to... You know, have a fun, passionate conversation about that. Stop. Stop. Um, when you choose to do a series, sometimes our thesis gets tested a little harder than others. Uh, hence why we haven't done my favorite horror movie, Hellraiser, as part of its series, because that's going to be a lot of a lot of bone to chew in the old Hellraiser series. But um, to say this movie sucks is probably closer to the truth than not. But <laughs> but I would argue that there are some actually really cool moments and ideas in here that get a little bit lost by I mean this is it's kind of funny cuz it's very fitting that this takes place in LA, right? Yes. Cuz yes, it, it really is. feels like they they just said uh you know what this picture needs more of, kid? titties all the titties all like the titties, even a mother who commits suicide they're like 
wait, there's a mom in here. That's a great place to put some old titties in. Titties. <laughs> like that seems to be the addition to the mythology for the most part. But right. then at the end, they start sneaking some stuff in. So, Alex, your first impressions of Candyman 3, Day of the Dead. Uh, Oddly enough, not the first time I've seen this movie. Uh, I saw it on <laughs> the cable many years ago. Um, But, you know, when you can't get Pam Anderson or any other blonde actress in Hollywood for some reason, you call Donna DiErico. Look, I don't have a problem with anybody making their money but again this movie starts off in the weirdest way possible which is a black woman describing the legend of Candyman to a white woman and then the white woman confessing i am the descendant of Candyman." You're like what the fuck how is this movie starting off like this what a drop <laughs> well you kind of skipped the whole start where because it has two of the otter things so now we're starting with Candyman is now able to somewhat haunt the dreams. Yes. Right? Because you, uh, you got some Freddy She Kruger goes to aspects. bed and wakes up. Yeah. So she wakes up in her very Baywatch esque nightmare scenario where water's dripping too much. Um, and that's not cool. And then we cut over and see Candyman. Right. And then we get maybe like the weirdest bloody hook porn. Like, it's like a QVC, like, bloody hook pornographic, like... <laughs> okay, ugh. yeah. Can we please talk about... close shots. <laughs> we're gonna need to take a quick minute to talk about these opening credits. Because I have got, <laughs> got to meet the director of photography for this movie and say, how many days did you take filming a bloody hook <laughs> on, a, on a pan shot? Well, we needed shot. a day of prep, and then we had a lot of hook models. We had it was a three-day <laughs> shoot. <laughs> there was union so, rules of course yeah. it is one of those like absolutely crazy things where i i like it's funny you bring it because like i was so blindsided by the white woman confessing her legacy that i completely forgot about the first note i actually wrote which was there is a lot of hook stuff going on just for the credits mm -hmm. and that's it like there's not like imagery from other movies to like refresh your memory or anything mm -hmm. like that it's literally just like Donna DiErico, hook, swish pan. Tony Todd, hook, swish yes. pan. It's crazy. And not just to make fun of how silly it is that they have this, like, QVC credits. I actually think it's a, it's an opening salvo that's letting you know yeah. they have completely lost sight of what is great about Candyman. Totally. And they're like, it's the blood 100%. in the hook, isn't it? That's what you want. And you're like, no. That right. is the exact opposite of why I think Candyman is yeah. cool. So I think they're letting you know. They're like, hey, did you like uh, the nipple tank top? We know you did. Uh, <laughs> did you like the blood and hook? We yes. know that you did. I will say this. Strap the in for another 88 minutes of pure joy. I really appreciated getting right out on Fred Street with the, hey, listen, we have like a third of the budget of the original one, so strap in. Sure. This is what we got. And I'm like, that, that in and of itself is the – like. That's why, like, it's good that you, like, start off by saying it's hard. Yes, this movie is not great, but it is good to point mm -hmm. out that that's the opening credits. You're right. We need to just accept yeah. it and move on and continue with the film, which is fine. Well, it's also the earliest we actually see the Candyman, even a little earlier than part two. And it's like you can start to feel now that they have no trust in whatever's happening in the world around yeah. it. Um. 
instead of just doing that, right? I there are some things in this movie I thought were really fascinating, right? Sure. And again, this this is another one of those. It's like, why are the Candyman's grandkids so fucking white? Because so it's the white. same problem we had in Day of the Dead or uh, Farewell to the Flesh, right down in New Orleans, yeah. which is. When they're walking around these neighborhoods, right, in Los Angeles, and you're talking about some of the superstitions with Day of the Dead and, uh, you know, what that means and this and that, some of those yeah. scenes really worked for me, right? The, the local flavor sure. of Los Angeles and the Latino community, I thought, yeah, hell yeah, this is sure, this is great. Like, Look, I could do this, right? Candyman could have been that awesome, you know, this is the uh, chance to see outside of you know, a lot of horror movies, I think, over the years have been pretty dominated right. by the white POV. Fine. Definitely. So you take us to this this place, right? This community in Los Angeles. It would have been better to just stay like in Abuela's apartment, right? Because, again, not wildly amazing, but the, you know, just even her talking about, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, doing the, the smoking the cigar and sure. the bloody egg stuff was good. That was. kind of flavor is what Candyman needs to thrive instead of right. just, you know, kind of the same old, like, running around. Like, there's what? a moment in the movie where it's like, they so don't understand what the, is going on, right? Where it's just right. uh, Donna DeErico and the actor are in her apartment, and she goes, a gang stole the paintings? We gotta go find that gang. And he's like, right. what? And she's like, if we find them with the paintings... We're going to prove who done it. And I was just like, what in the absolute fuck? All right. It just so doesn't. It's not, beyond it comprehension. It so does not fit. But <laughs> it's one of those moments in, in screenwriting where they're just like, just right. keep it churning. Just right. keep this thing fucking. It, it, absolutely. In the very next shot, which is so funny, too, is this is where they add the other thing where the uh, the, the racist drinking uh, detective. Right. Literally, he's like, do a background check on her. And he drops roses out of the car. And I was like, yeah. there's like eight things that have happened in this last like two minutes of film that I'm really choking on here. <laughs> like, what the fuck? So by the time okay. you get to uh, he has a daughter he neglects in Abuela's apartment, I was like, finally, at least some like humanity and flavor right, that right. I can wash away whatever the fuck is happening right now. Yeah, there was like. That I'm so glad you brought up that scene because yeah, I just my mind like when he dropped the roses, I'm like, what? Why? What's happening? And what what's going on? Like, there's so much to unpack. And That's then like you saves the cat moment. But here's this is actually what I was getting at. <laughs> I'm not even like. The level of whiteness, like well, you know, that's neither here nor there. We've now seen this like in two movies. It's. Mm -hmm. here's what i think though is like this movie is a this move like this series originates in cabrini green which is predominantly black community it's about much more than that it's about much more than that obviously but it bothered me that we spent so much time in sort of like unlocated los angeles so to speak like they like reference a lot of places around like they bring up burbank and downtown and all that other kind of shit it's a weird thing well, okay so here's I don't know that it bothers me that it's just wherever Los Angeles, right? Like the weirdest scene they have is the uh, the subway from hell. Okay, yeah, that place. By the way, for those of you in Los Angeles, 
that place doesn't exist in Los Angeles. It, there, there's no there's subways some crazy that shit look that I've way. seen there, but yeah. <laughs> but no, okay. So to get to like the theory of what I like about this movie and where I thought they could have gone, right? There, there are some. Again, I don't think it matters where in LA. Like, here's the thing, right? So you talked about the difference between Cabrini Green in Los Angeles. Well, in a movie that's about people looking in the mirror and somehow wanting to steal clout and fame from this mystery, right? Right. No set of characters want to look in the mirror more than actors in L.A. Sure. Okay, that works that. for me, right? Sure, yeah. The vanity, the hollowness, that works, right? Um, Even Miguel, the studio owner, wanting to make a buck off the Candyman, right? right. That works for me. Um, The idea of the cult of Candyman is my favorite thing in the movie. This, yes. this idea that there is these true believers that want to, you know, be uh, his victims, as it were. Uh, but sure. like most Hot Topic kids, when it time when it comes time to throw down on the, the dark shit, they're like, <laughs> they can't do it. Uh, you know, because that the leader of the court of the cult is essentially um, the the low rent porno version of Kurgan from Highlander. Yes. <laughs> right. So it's porno Kurgan, just like happy Halloween, descendant of Kendamara. Nah. And he's walking, the, he's like, we saw the paintings and it gave us an idea for our underground law. <laughs> it's like, what? what? But the idea of the cult of Candyman is actually a righteous idea, right? right? This idea of these. So, okay, so we got those subplots. And then the other thing, they re... like the Day of the Dead itself, a great, interesting setting to lens this through. I think that works. And then they're throwing in this, this mother angle which I think you could get run out of if you so chose, right? The problem, I mean, I mean, I think this has the same thing where it's our our lead is the least interesting character. Yes. Um, who doesn't add a lot. And then it also has the, the Candyman problem again, which is to this day, I don't know why he keeps doing these plans. Like right. they don't. Well, he's just like, finally, he'll be with me. It's like, is yeah. that all? I think that's a main thing that has bothered me about the sequels because the original movie makes sense to me as far as like his plan to like basically subsume Helen Lyle. Like we talked about it in the first mm. ep- in that episode, which is like it feels like it's either it's not necessarily possession, but it's like inheritance, but maybe it's just undying love in a way, that kind of thing. Like we're trying to figure that out. Like there well, that one a... also has a very specific, which is Candyman is killing people in a place where we have decided we don't care about violence and right. murder. Exactly. But... So by infecting this white rich woman, right, then he can branch out. Right. The other and... rich white women in the story that does not work. Right. And but that to <laughs> me is like that's also like what I was getting at originally, which is like inherently the problem I have with not locating this movie specifically in lo- like areas of the town that are like 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 cabrini green like to me i actually think Candyman, cult of the Candyman, might even be a better title for this kind of movie because i agree i actually think the Candyman, the cult subplot is a much better take there's a lot more to like feel there for a movie rather than just like oh white lady talks in the mirror she's scared of her ancestor blah 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 whatever I actually would have preferred a movie that was much more located in a Cabrini green like location. To me, that was what the problem with Farewell to the Flesh was, is that we were just in New Orleans and we were just like, well, New Orleans is a thing. New Orleans is existing and that's the way the movie is like. Right. 
but you were this, seeing New Orleans through the lens of a like KFC franchisee, right? right? Like the guy who had the restaurant or whatever. To me, Candyman works in any place where there is an oppressed community, right? So they sure. even start hinting at like we can't call the cops when they're in Abuela's apartment building. Fine, all of that works. You just have to lay that that groundwork, right? Whereas instead, they're just oh, we're just in you know random art studio, random. Uh, like, I don't even know what her job is throughout this movie. I guess her job is she makes money renting out Candyman's original paintings, right? Daniel Robitaille's paintings. But so yeah. that's what I mean is that she is, See, you know, just like this that. kind of blank white canvas that doesn't right. add any flavor. See, and I think that's even interesting because there's a borderline, even though she says she's an ancestor, there's like this borderline intrigue through the art community in this movie of this appropriation. Like, essentially... Like that first scene where Miguel is like showing everyone like, hey, check it out. And she's trying very hard to like make it about the art. And he's like, no, no, it's cool. It's an angle. And kind she literally, of she caves within about 30 seconds. <laughs> right. I'm not I, hang on. I'm not claiming that Donna Dierico's character is some sort of saint who, you know, wants the sanctity of uh, the work preserved. She's. <laughs> I believe she's clearly, in canon. God damn it. She's clearly out for cash. I mean, she lives in Los Angeles. She's got to pay that rent. I get that. Um, but, like, there's one other thing that I thought was, like, there's something that um, happened in this movie more than any other any other two, and I thought that this was a interesting addition, and I'm not sure I feel about it. I want to get your take, maybe. The sentient bees. It, the bees became a new thing mm -hmm. for me because like they've never they've always been more a set piece than anything else they've always been like just the mm -hmm. arrival of candy man and it's more about like this the noise they make and the grating that that does to your kind of like soul in a lot of ways mm -hmm. this was the first time i remember in these movies seeing the bees actually being part of the attack so to speak like they're an extension yeah. of candy man himself that well, this is the thing the movie does a lot better is I think the kills are more varied and interesting for the most part, right? We get like a right, full right. naval rip. When he rips up the detective, that's an amazing shot. Very cool. Um, yeah, because Candyman kind of makes his appearance to Donna D'Arico as like the, the cloud of bees ghost. We yeah. see the swarm of bees in the L.A. River, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they're more they're more pronounced in this one. Right. Well, why, though? I don't like, know that it bothers this... me, right? It's almost as if, yeah, it, it pulls him out and it, it takes some intimacy away. It's as if he's always yeah. kind of clouded and obscured by them. So, mm -hmm. you know, in a Los Angeles film, maybe that works. Uh, there's a scene that I thought was funny I wanted to get your take on, right? And this might be hand-in-hand -hand with your bees idea, which is we see the flashback of Daniel Robitaille being murdered twice. Right. Yeah. And in the one when Miguel's retelling it at the end, Candyman laughs as the bees grab him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The classic I'm here for revenge at the end when he wants uh, his his granddaughter, great granddaughter, whatever, to be his witness. He's not mm -hmm. laughing anymore. Do no. you. That was clearly a Miguel edition, right? So I maybe mean, yeah. as Candyman is appearing now to these people, he's appearing as they want him to be. Uh, <laughs> as I they want him to be. <laughs> I can, dumb. I almost was going to say I can get on board with that, but <laughs> that, pun, that pun just derailed it completely. Until the um, pun. 
Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree with that actually. I think that's a great summation of what the bees are then for this movie. Cause I can absolutely take what I think the bees do, which is it does depersonalize Daniel Robitaille's kills considerably. So if he's not, if he's more of an omnipresence, so to speak, and more of this malevolent omnipresence, I think the bees are a great messenger, a great harbinger, rather than being a harbinger, a great messenger of his and dispatcher of his justice, so to speak. So I like that idea. Mm. And as far as him like laughing, I, I like that 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 addition is great because that's like that's like when you and I are watching a movie and you or when you and I are talking about a movie and you're adding something to it for me, like. When we're talking about like stories, like we've written together before, and like when we're talking about stories, like that's what it is. It's an embellishment that you're using as your own, as yourself as a writer. It's Miguel deciding like, well, this movie, the story is pretty horrible. Let me make it more badass by letting him like be the laughing guy at the end. Like that to me is yeah. That to me is essentially what that is, and I like that though because yeah, it does that actually repersonalizes the B kills then. Because then, like, later when he's with that woman who p- slathers herself in honey, which is a little on the nose, but you can l- kind of let it pass because you know it's going to happen. Come but here, like, my little honeybee. <laughs> and then Immediately, she's like, though, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm into this. Well, I, It was that. just like I could do some hu- – I don't know who keeps raw honeycombs like that, but I was like, I could get down for some of that. Maybe, yeah, just turn on some Jerry Seinfeld's B movie and. Do you think it's possible that that woman's the world's first hipster because she like keeps her own honeycomb? Maybe she has her own apiary. (laughs) That was fucking Miguel's honeycomb. That was Miguel's crib. I believe it. Perhaps she's the person who created Squirrel Jam. I don't know. You're just like, hey, I spent eighteen dollars at that at the farmer's market. Quit rubbing it on your tits. What are you doing? (laughs) This is raw harvested goddamn honey. Don't you know anything? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I got to go back to Topanga next weekend to get more. I hate you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's such I'm a actually, ass life I'm to actually, bring my trainer. I'm actually Joe's on board with Jesus. this. That woman was, yeah. that woman was punished uh, for wasting precious honeycomb. Yeah, that's right. The bees were like, can we have her daddy's? Yeah. Kenny was like, actually, yes, of course. The en- the Make her of, your victim. The true ending of Candyman Day of the Dead is finding Daniel Robitaille living in a loft in Silver Lake. And he's just got his like, he's got his apiary on the top. Yeah, absolutely. You know what LA is a victim of? It's losing its personality in each neighborhood. I, I can't stand it. I can't. I'm going to go down and make a, a coffee, a very hip coffee. No, I went fucking totally off the rails again. Um, Yeah, man. I, I think that's the kind of, I feel like this is the movie too where, this movie kind of gets into a lot of this stuff where I feel like this is the movie where every theory they have of the movie is wrong. And almost it almost works in a weird way, right? Like everything Abuela says is horrendously stupid. And even Candyman's thesis in this film, right, is pretty stupid when he just keeps saying to Donna to Erica, right? Like at one point he's like, I showed you murder, Miguel's murder, and you still don't believe in me. Yeah. And it's like she's literally been doing nothing but tell people she believes you're killing them right. since two scenes ago. Okay. Skip that one. Then he's like, you know, there's no reason to live. 
uh, all right, well, why are you still haunting so much? Like, right. what are we talking about here, Mr. Candy? And, it, you know, it just keeps <laughs> going on Man, in that regard, his first name's Candy. right? Right, yeah, uh, Mr. Man uh, slash Candy. It, but, like, he even, you know, just like, oh, we'll finally have our dignity back, blah, blah. It's so, but in a weird way, it works, right? Because it, it turns him into this man who has created a perverse mission, right? That right. he says at one point, he says, in death, there is a release, right? There is peace. We can see specifically the only person who has died in the film that we know has no release or peace. No peace. It is Daniel Robitaille himself. Yeah. So, in a way, this it almost explains away the kind of convolution of part two and three, which is this is a, a ghost who felt such trauma right, that he must just keep living, and he is constantly, for hundreds of years now, been warping right. and twisting this well, mission here's something. in his own mind right. to keep himself afloat. Because here, here's something. Because the movie is supposed to take place considerably many years after the second one. Particularly because, and I'm not sure I understand this correctly, but it seems that Donna Diarco's character is the is not only a descendant of Daniel Robitaille, but also the daughter of Annie from the second movie. Correct? Right, which would mean that Annie is the uh, shining bathtub mom from this movie, which I right. do not like. Which she had I didn't already like. defeated. Yeah, her love of the Candyman. Right, which doesn't make unless a lot this of... is her granddaughter. I don't know. Like this is the part that got confusing. But here's the thing: I was right. really thinking about while we were talking about this is what if because the Candyman, like the first one, obviously is very specific in tone and style. Do you think maybe these characters, like we like you were just saying, like he's saying there's death as a release, there's peace in it. Obviously, that's bullshit because. He, you're still like you're still here what are you doing here so yeah. yeah do you think possibly these last two Candyman movies are less about Candyman and more about the people's interpretation of Candyman like maybe that version of Candyman that appears to Donna Dierico is not at all the Candyman we saw in the first one maybe it is her maybe it is an, an apparition solely for her like maybe Candyman is not just someone who is maybe Candyman is not necessarily it might have started with Daniel Robitaille, but perhaps the Candyman is really an aspect of all of our fears and personality that comes through only when we are actually assigning him a name. I don't know if that works. Yeah, but. and I think I think that works if I'm being honest. I mean, the thing is, is I think the movie is constantly trying to give it this this family lineage vibe which yeah. does not work since we do not care to emote with the families and they are so white right <laughs> yes. that you're just like the whole Huge family problem. illusion is shattered absolutely immediately right there there is a sense of i love the idea of this is a man because we see that in part two right when the pilgrims are like oh we done fucked up right, right? when they're watching me he's like oh we done fucked up right uh little house on the prairie oh my god what have we done and so in a way, maybe those people lead their own haunted lives and Candyman's coming back. So by this one, and again, I think it kind of works with the kind of people we're seeing in this, right? Actors and gallery owners. These people who can't help but craft themselves into their stories. Right. I think the idea that Candyman now is this 
this remnant, right? And as these people are trying to steal, because in all these movies, they are all trying to appropriate something from Candyman, right? To give themselves claw, right? Helen with her right. paper, uh, you know, the people in New Orleans for whatever reason, right? Her dad's going to be the vanquisher, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that story was. And in this one, I think this is the thing, though, because, again, the movie wants to do this family line. One of the things they set up in this movie that I really liked um, was her and her mom's relationship, right? So this is almost Candyman's descendant who is the most haunted by grief. And we see this as because she finds her mom dead in the bathtub, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get a couple weird scenes where they're like, we gots to show those titties, right? Those old titties. (laughs) Yes. Gots to do it because that's what this Candyman's like. There's even a scene when... Uh, robotized painting uh, the girl, the woman he falls in love with. Oh, yeah. And he runs gets... over and they have that weird makeout, right? And uh, they cut back to her, like, all, you know, puffed out, like, you know, butt towards the Ken Voss. And he's like, yeah. yeah. And we get the sense that Candyman is walking up on her, like, oh, presentation. I'm in. The love is right. hot and passionate. There is a we lot pull of way back. He's done moments. an entire fucking giant four by four of this. So I'm like, is this foreplay as he's like rode over and hold the same pose for six hours while i get the light right? yeah he's just found out all he was doing was painting buttholes and that's what he How ended up being persecuted for. <laughs> <laughs> your buttholes are so realistic that they inspired the new dune remake good lord he's like no, a uh, he's like a forefather of like uh you know maplethorpe you know like that's all like they're like Jesus. he is disgusting we must get rid of him well, no, I was just, I think what the movie's telling us is, like, the passion for these two must be immense if she can sit and hold her position for six hours and still be, you know, a hot and ready pizza whenever it's time to go. <laughs> so, it's like, they're just showing us weird stuff constantly. But oh, there's a yeah. moment, right, when he attacks her in, uh, I think it's Tino's bathroom, right, in Tino's hangout. Uh-huh. And they turn around, and her mom is there speaking, or Candyman is speaking through the ghost of her mom. With her neck sliced open and her eyes all bloodied out, which is cool. There is a beat of Candyman hiding behind someone else in his lineage to attack another person in his lineage. Mm -hmm. That I thought was really cool. It's a really cool way to try to dive back into this family bond. Right. And I felt like they wanted to do that because at the end they talk about, you know, the mom comes back in flashback. You know, you have to destroy the myth. Um, so I think they were going for some of that, and it just kind of got yeah. but, caught I mean, in I the wash of all you, these other things. Right, and I feel like if you really reconceptualize for the last two, but particularly this one, the Candyman myth as being a self-inflicted wound. I think that's the kind of thing that works a little bit better. Um, ultimately, yeah, like, again, everyone, yes, like, it's hard to emote with people who are not really emoting about the thing that they should be emoting about. And also because they are just so white, but I really do think well, also that one of the moments of her, like it's so hard. My mom died. Let's do shots and fuck. It's yeah. Like, God damn it. There's again, there's a lot of this, like <laughs> this movie never misses a chance. I will say this. The most shocking thing about this film to me is the casting of Erica Dodano or whatever her name is. Erica D- er- oh. Not to sh- go top, right? Like they're maintaining some like some uh protection over the Robitaille line, which I was like, "Oh, wow. 
If you had given me like a an over under odds at the start of that movie that she'd be the one person who we did not see naked. Yeah, that's pretty shocking. I, I would well, probably have lost money. Uh, you know what? Actually, that's not true because we get that my all time favorite '90s movie trope, which is sad shower scene. You get a shower a, crying. Yeah, you get but a, you a, don't see anything. You're like, this is not like the I mean, uh, Cinemax late at night. Um, shot right that's like just her legitimately i mean it's basically it's the normal softcore stuff you know you're almost seeing it it's it's the whole thing (laughs) look i'm just saying no uh i'll I'll agree i'll agree with you i don't i don't know man i thought there was i'll agree with you that you don't normally cast donna dierico in movies unless you're going to get full frontal nudity from her but sure you know i get it they're protecting the line (laughs) they're protecting there has to be a protection right absolutely yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that family angle, could, that's what I mean. There are so many parts of this movie that I'm like, that's pretty interesting. I could get down on an exploration of this, right? Yeah, totally. It's kind of the same thing with the cult where it's the cult, even like there's a, a really cool scene where they're summoning Candyman in a cracked mirror. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, awesome. Like, fuck Very yeah, cool. that's really cool Candyman imagery. And then they don't show a, show him killing Porno Kurgan or any of these other people. Yeah. I was like, no. It is one of those like waste. There's a lot of weird mm. wasted moments, but I agree. I feel like the family angle is the biggest waste of time. And they, what they should have been doing is really focusing more on the mythological component of believing in Candyman. Because every single time we've watched one of these movies, it's all about the belief. He gets pissed when no one believes in him. That's why Helen Lyle is pretty much reprimanded the entire movie it's anytime someone says they don't believe in him they always end up being like framed for murder and shit so like mm-hmm. ultimately the thing that i think makes the candy man like this candy man movie and the series at large watchable is because if you don't focus on the fam- familial aspects it's much more interesting to focus on the mythological component of like if you believe in something is it real if you don't believe in something, is it real? If you say Candyman five times into a mirror and you and nothing happens to you, is it real? Like that to me is I think the most important part about the Candyman series itself is the belief that you have in it. Because that's what gives Candyman his power. At least that's what it seems, because he literally asks every single person to believe. Yeah, and and I mean I especially this one where so few characters actually talk into the mirror right right like how many people talk into the mirror and actually die in this right do you think there's something to this maybe these people are always seeing themselves reflected in the other people or is that too like philosophically nonsensical to apply not necessarily i mean i would say no because of this movie so i mean to me ultimately the thing that the thing that makes the Candyman so fascinating is that like the mirror is a huge component of the mythology and yet nothing itself actually comes. It seems like almost nothing itself comes from except for that first movie. Almost nothing else comes from looking in the mirror and saying his name five times. You have to like wait 20 minutes until something truly horrible happens to you or days later. It's almost like looking in the mirror and saying his name activates the mythology and activates the belief that you have to have for something terrible to happen to you. So I yeah, think but, but in this one, he's more actively deciding how he will present, right? Cause the first right, exactly. one starts off with a really great 
tight conceit, which is you say his name, he appears behind you. And that's it. In this one, Miguel never said his name. Uh, um, Honey Boo Boo never said his name. The detective <laughs> never Boo-Boo. said his name, right? Like, right. The, the actress lady said it four times, never finished, right? She was right. just going to call a friend. So there are so many people in this one that never called upon him. Right. But this one we're in the vicinity of people chanting his name right. or talking. This one to me, it, well, his 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 line of attack is changed and expanded. Right. I mean, like this one to me focuses on because like Donna Dierico at the art installation, like does the thing in the mirror. So technically, Miguel was an earshot. So that's the thing is like now the mechanism by which Candyman enters our world is a mirror. Anyone can say it, and it gives him license to go out. Like, that's, I think, the new addition to the mythology itself within this movie is, like, if you give him the access point, he will walk out and he will start doing, I guess, the bidding of his family. It's weird, like, because when you think about it, he's basically, he's almost protecting Donna Dierico in a lot of ways by, like, he kills Miguel and that and Honey Boo Boo. Like, Miguel is someone who wanted to exploit and take advantage of the fact that this man died so he's going to obviously exploit him and take advantage of the fact that he he, if you're willing to believe that this guy did all these things then he's going to prove it like I I don't know it's a fascinating (laughs) trajectory right because we're now in a third movie and I guess you just can't it's not as interesting to have people stand in front of a mirror every time like (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I agree I with that. I think maybe the interesting zag to it is that now it's anyone who is trying to be in the vicinity or exploit this story yeah. or this pain for some kind of clout, right? Whether it's the cult or Miguel or whoever, right? Uh, the actor who played Candyman and the fake staging, right? Right. Anyone who is trying to take advantage of him now can be a target. Whereas the first one is a very pointed, no healthy, normal, well-adjusted. Like, my wife is not saying Candyman in the mirror five times because she's like, shit's good for me. I'm fine. I'm mentally stable. Like, I'm I'm good. Right. Right? Like, the people who do that need something, right? They're looking to fill a void. Right. And that void is filled with a hook, and it doesn't go well, right? That's a classic witch wish story, right? It doesn't right. go how you want. So I think that that is an interesting addition to Candyman. That's what I mean. It's like it just it feels like there are all these parts, right? Like had they really sat down and you know anchored into one of these, it kind of works. And I, to me, the key to this was Abuela, because I don't know that a character has ever gotten worse advice. From other people in the story than Donna DeErico in this movie, right? Um, every single person who has a theory on Candyman is wrong, <laughs> right? Because Abuela's theory is probably one of the more baffling theories of it, where she's like, "You, you have to, you can't run away from the evil," and it's like, "Well, you could have." If you hadn't tried to impress Miguel and the other hipsters in the gallery. Right. Like, you're, what, 35 years old in this movie? All you have to do is just keep not saying his name, and you might have some weird dreams about leaky faucets, but you can run away. That's absolutely a part of this. Right. Um, Secondly, it's like, you're the last of his line. Well, she could have a child, right? She could birth. So weird. But when Abuela comes up with the theory of, 
and this is one of the more baffling, and this is the moment where you're like, this movie absolutely is not doing the best it can with Candyman, is where Abuela states, I believe her thesis is, uh, evil cannot exist without good. Right? Right. And so Abuela's strategy, and I don't know if Abuela said this specifically, or maybe this was Donna to Erico again, like, let's go hunt the gang. She just like came up with this horrendous leap of logic, which is the way to defeat Candyman, who is iconic because he's one of the more empathetic murderer ghosts we have, right? Is right. to destroy the good. So we're going to defeat Candyman by destroying what little decency he has. And then not only are they saying destroy the good part to kill the evil, Right. Instead of, hey, let's appeal to Candyman's good and that will destroy because that's Hellraiser too, right? Pinhead is brought back to his like human form before he's all twisted and gnarled. That makes sense. Uh, Let's make Candyman more monstrous and he'll explode into fire and bees is a strange give. Also, when they said, what is the decency in him? Right. Like, what is the good part of Candyman? Yeah. It is his vanity projects that he painted. Uh you're like, so Candyman's theory for wanting to capture his descendants is to regain what he's lost, regain his dignity, this and that. Right. Perhaps she's the last good part of him or she could do a good deed. by Like, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It, it and, literally is one of the more baffling uh, conclusions yeah. I've ever heard in a movie, well, which is and I, let's annihilate. It'd be like if in the movie Legend with Tom Cruise, they're like, hey, that big red guy with the horns. Let's go fucking murder the other unicorn. Yeah. And then there will be too much darkness and he'll disappear. You're like, what? Well, <laughs> it's like, fucking insanity. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it for this movie. Personally. <laughs> like, to be honest with you, it, it just reeks of bad writing in a lot of ways. And it reeks of like literally someone like, uh, I don't know, too much darkness, I guess. We'll just go with that. But ultimately i think it i i imagine though that someone had a oh my god like my theory oh yeah. is someone thought they were like going to get awards for abuela's anybody who's there yeah i mean i yes anyone who writes knows that there's moments in these kinds of movies you're like man i might get, i might win a fucking oscar for this scene like this is incredible i might get an actress a nomination for this like <laughs> not realizing that it's just like it's like backwards ham-fisted eighth grade philosophy which is like there's too if you give the world too much evil the evil will explode not true but the sentiment yeah. the spirit of the the spirit of the dialogue and the spirit of that moment i feel like i almost understand which to me is like no one like no one in Daniel Robitaille's position can be consumed by darkness. There has to be something. Otherwise, he would just literally murder. He would have murdered Donna D'Erico in her dreams or murdered her and gotten her to say the, his name five times and murdered her. So taking away what little hope, perhaps, the Candyman has left is maybe what she was trying to get at. Granted, it's written terribly and doesn't really work for me. Yeah. Look, I'm Maybe. trying. I'm trying here. All right? he, he does have yearning. This movie is not good. I'm really trying. Take away what he. Well, because <laughs> you have to assume that he's yearning for a familial connection more than to just keep I murdering. I don't know. He, to me personally, yeah. I would have. I would be again. I. I don't know. I don't understand. Again, I don't understand it. There's a lot that you could say about 
how he must feel looking back 300 years later and be like, oh, God, there's just all white people in my family now. What has happened? But, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. It is truly the most baffling thing of all is that, like, the last one that's come out yeah. until this year or next year, I guess, now is Donna DiErico as the descendant of Daniel Ropetire. We're like, all right, just blondie blondes and uh gingers that's blonde hair blue eyes big fake titties like it's just we're like well those aren't genetic those those aren't genetic right we're looking at like it's like you know we're just looking at the uber mensch and we're like cool whatever i mean i mean yeah of course that's the descendant (laughs) of candy man (laughs) i mean that would make me pissed off too like jesus christ where's the syrian and my boy (laughs) all my kids are no longer of syrian but i mean that's like that i think is the thing that throws the whole movie off in my opinion in a lot of ways and really like from a thematic standpoint that's the problem and that's why we have such trouble and we're trying to come up with other ways that this movie can explain what it's trying to say because i do think that if you have the familial connection what you're not going to do is make donna dierico the descendant of daniel robitaille but you're also going to make it an actual part like Everybody speaks of Daniel Robitaille's story as a myth, as a legend. No one speaks of it as actual family history. And I think that's the thing that really bothers me about the last two Candymen is like no one has a handle on what the real story is. So to me, the thing that makes the movies compelling is to dive deeper into the legend and to decide like what it is about your belief system that makes you think the Candyman could appear. Look, like you said, like your wife's, you know, my wife's not going to do it. I can tell you right now, if I walked upstairs and told Andrea, hey, say Candyman five times in the mirror, she would probably slap me in the face and tell me to fuck off. But like that is also because she's superstitious. I'm superstitious. I'm also not going to go upstairs and do it because that's scary. It's just a weird thing. And you never know what you're inviting in. And I think that's a big part of what it is that makes the Candyman movies exciting is that you don't understand what you're inviting what level of evil and not even evil, but malevolence, like sure. besmirched malevolence that you're inviting by being haphazard with mythology. Yeah. Well, I think that's what happened by the time we ended the series here is that now we're not inviting him as much. Right. Is that he's just bonded to us because of genetics, right? This, I think that calling him out was a very important wrinkle, right? And it's just like at the end when he's like, you know, oh, our our tragedies will be written on the walls. You'll be immortal. I'm like, you've said that for three movies. You took her mother who made this deal with you and no one knows about her mother. Her mother's not an infamous immortal famous God. So his story is just ringing false everywhere. Right. Right. Uh, even when she says. Oh, uh, the, my mom said we have to destroy his legend, so we'll pin it on the candy cop. And it'll be the candy cop murders, right? The candy man murders. Right. Um, That's literally the candy man's plan from part one is to make Helen a candy man inspired murderer that will then get a Netflix documentary and everyone will be Googling candy man. So that cop is going to bring more clout to the candy man. Totally. So it's like... The things that this movie just seemingly brushes past or does not understand are somewhat wild to me. Yeah. And at the end, we have this really extra strange ending, right? That has like a Nightmare on Elm Street 1 ending yes. where 
she looks in the mirror and she's back in like the the nighty outfit, the you know gray tank top. That's you know, oh, I've defeated you. There's no more Candyman. Psh, right. Mirror breaks, and then she's. They have that very dream filter on, very bright. Uh, stuff floating in the cloud or like amongst the air, right? And uh, David and his daughter and her is having a good old fashioned picnic on mommy's grave. Which, so I was like, they're telling us for sure that she died, but when did she die? Um, <laughs> like I'm, right. I'm somewhat that it's just one of those. It's again, it's like I, I felt like we we could have said something there, right? Well, and, and I'm not that sure that I can even come up with a theory to explain that final shot away. I mean, honestly, the only thing you come up with is literally someone was like, "Do you know anything about the Day of the Dead celebrations?" I don't. I think they do like picnics maybe in front of people's graves. Cool, let's just go with that. That's great. Literally have like $15 <laughs> left in this budget. We have to finish. Well, I mean, in L- in Los Angeles people watch movies on other people's graves, so I guess that's fine. Yeah, like- exactly. <laughs> I've been to well, I- To yeah. me, I was like, are they trying to tell us that if her and David have a happy life, that is good, which has descended from Candyman. So to Abuela's theory, there is still good. Therefore, there must still be evil. Because if you destroy Candyman and all the evil's gone, there can't be good either, right? right? So is it they mutually destroyed each other or they are immortal together? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Can a stepchild be like... Could David's daughter, Candyman appears, he's like, you're my niece now, let's roll. <laughs> like, what? No, that's not how this legally works. I'm a stepdaughter. No. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. know. Honestly, it's just like, it's one of those things where it's a movie that had absolutely no idea what they had. Like, no one, had, it's like no one had watched the other Candyman movies except for like that mm-hmm. one scene from the second one where they identified Annie Tarrant as a character in the movie. Yeah, but this is what I mean, though. What I think is cool about Candyman is that it is just an interesting concept and character. They still had some cool ideas, right? Candyman posing as her mother to get closer to her Mm -hmm. is really fascinating. Seeing Candyman as a puppeteer is kind of an interesting take on the family line. The cult of Candyman is really fascinating. I could get down to that. I mean, the Day again, of the I, Dead is a great setting for something like Candyman, right? Sure. There are things that could have worked left and right in this movie. Yeah, I think that's the thing is there are pieces of this movie that absolutely could have worked. There are pieces of this movie that should work that don't. And I think ultimately what you're looking at when you watch Day of the Dead is a movie that has all the it's all the pieces to make a like pretty decent deep dive into this kind of story that we've now seen two movies for. And instead it focuses on kind of what I would call the macro of the Candyman series, which is like guy with hook blonde lady, subtle racism, murder. Like those are literally like the, like those are the hallmarks <laughs> yeah. of like, those are like the macros of like a, you know, frat guy watching this movie. And those are the things he likes. Like those are like, right. That I well, think I is think the they so hone in on the bloody hook that Daniel Robitaille is just out of focus, right? It's that oh, classic yeah. shot. I, like, we see the hook. We see the blood. The kills are better. The kills are better and more thrilling. But we should have felt seen, like Candyman was never. With those opening credits, we should have known. Yeah. But, like, that scene when Miguel's telling his story and Candyman's, 
<laughs> is the bees like swarm upon him, right? Mm-hmm. It's like an ending to like a 1950s, like, oh, no, the the ending. Uh, like, you know, I, I imagine that. Yeah. And at the end, that's almost what Candyman was reduced to. There was one shockingly poignant movie in Can- or a Candyman moment to me, which is at the end, he does this whole Candyman bullshit, you know, be my witness, be my victim. Right. Right. And he's like, come on, respect my authority. And then all of a sudden. Caroline's like, yes, yes, yes. But then sees her mother and is like, man, my mother's not. This is not true. You're selling me a bill of goods. When she turns to try to climb back up the uh, aggro crag or whatever Nickelodeon bullshit that was. Yeah, whatever. Global guts joke for those of you in the know. Well it's done. fucking cool. Well aggro Very crag. nice. Um, <laughs> it would be cool if you knew what that was. I guess you just weren't one of the tough boys like me when we were little. But uh, so she starts running up the aggro crag. And Candyman, I think maybe in the one time in all three movies, like he kind of loses the like operatic Tony Todd voice and he just goes, Carolyn? Like he says it in an absolutely normal, confused tone. Right. Right? Like what I say when my kids do something silly, I'm like, what? Carolyn? It's a very very Mike O'Malley moment to go with your uh, Global Guts reference. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's just this really small moment where it's. Um, in a movie where Candyman feels like this giant cartoon version of the character we've come to love, mm-hmm. who at one time was a character who's now been exploited and manipulated through art to be this other thing, it almost felt like for one second he's like, oh, like he almost snapped out of it. Like, of course she's running. Like, of course this is. And then he goes back, don't betray me. And he's like right back to like, you know, the cartoon version. Right. Um, but I thought that was like a really surprisingly awesome moment in the midst of all. It is like a really, I mean, it's surprising because you're just like, huh? Like, I think that's the thing is yeah. it's not prompted by anything. You're like, uh, okay, cool. Great. Like that's, well, I no, think it's, the- it's one of those really tiny things you see in a movie that sometimes like, maybe it's nothing, maybe it shouldn't matter. But to me, it just kind of almost snapped me out of it. Like, oh yeah. Like at this point. I hate to say it because I love Candyman so much, and I think the character is just so ripe for awesome stories. Totally. This series had completely lost its way at this point. Absolutely. Which um, is And why... I'm not shocked this was the last one we had had for a long time. Right. And when he said that in that voice, that normal voice, I was like, that's what makes him matter, right? Because I had told a lie last time when Candyman cried in Candyman 2. We had seen that before. In Halloween five, right? When Michael Myers takes his mask off and is seen by his niece, he has one tear. Right. But that doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as connected to the real world as, you know, uh, Daniel Robitaille and Candyman. But like that extra layer, that extra human, which by this point is so gone. Yeah. And even the torture scene is so, you know, over the top universal monster movie. It just. We had lost a lot of that, and in one moment, it reminded me what I love so much about Candyman and Tony Todd. That it was—I will admit, man—I I try very hard to find things to like in this movie and all movies. Yeah. Uh, at this age in my life, I'm like, you know, you got to try, man. These you're Absolutely. spending this time try. Uh, this was one of the harder. It was hard, man, and that's yeah. that's what I think is also a testament to Candyman is. If I didn't care about Candyman, I don't think it would matter. You would just turn it off. I agree. No, this was like this was like summer. This was like summer catch level trying to figure something out that I liked about this movie. But I did because <laughs> there's a lot in it that is really fascinating. If you don't focus on the inheritance and familial aspects and focus more on the mythology and more of the legend of Candyman itself, 
there are some good beats and there's some good stuff in here. I can tell you right now, I'm very excited to see Nia DaCosta redeem this awesome movie and turn this turn this. Yeah, like, well, turn Candyman this ship around. definitely feels it definitely feels like there's an amazing Candyman story to be told in the time we live in right now. Absolutely, that actually might have some of its roots in some of the things we saw in Candyman Three. Strangely enough, right the the cult and the art exhibit, like these things. Totally. Where people have manipulated and mutated this story for their own gain. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean, that's what I mean. I, I think there are good elements. I think if you look at the series as a whole, there's so much amazing stuff in these three movies. That Yeah, I adore the Candyman series. And I think the sequels really did a disservice to it as a series. But I think I still just, I, I never not enjoy spending time in a Candyman movie. You know, disagree. so... Call me jaded, call me biased. I wouldn't say this is a great film, but there, there are things now that I can ponder about Candyman, and that's really all I ask of sequels. That that truly is all, all I want really out of, some of these from sequels. sequels. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, we say farewell to the flesh, to the honeycombs, to the hook. We say goodbye to all of it. Uh, goodbye, Candyman. Uh, we will be seeing him again soon. The c- kind of funny thing is, is that. The three series we did this month, Halloween, Scream, and uh, Candyman, we're getting new ones of all of them. Yeah. So I'm glad that all these series are alive and well and, you know, still breathing. I wish we could have gotten them now, but, hey, we'll wait. Um. So, okay, guys, that's it for the Candyman. Again, stay tuned tomorrow for our next horror movie adventure. Uh, we will be finishing the month strong with Dr. Sleep and the Shining. Uh, strike that, reverse it. And the Evil Dead series for our final uh, closing of the month. Thank you guys for staying. Also, we have some really, really, really good guests coming up. So stay tuned for that. Um, Thank you guys for downloading so many episodes and staying with us. This was a monumental uh, uh, undertaking. uh, And I'm glad we pulled it off. And I'm glad you guys are helping uh, make it worth it, at least for us. Again, please take a second, leave a rating and review. Find our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. Uh, we're on socials. We You can email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Uh, and thank you, Candyman. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for Tony your time. Todd, for making this character so thrilling. Absolutely. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.